Shrink Wrap Radio number 873, The Geography of the Soul, with Dr. Royce Fitz. And now it's time for Dr. Dave and Shrink Wrap Radio. You're on the couch again with Dr. Dave. And Shrink Wrap Radio is playing on again. Yeah. It's all in your head. It's all in your head. Shrink Wrap Radio. Shrink Wrap Radio. Shrink Wrap Radio. Shrink Wrap Radio. It's Shrink Wrap Radio. All the psychology you need to know and just enough to make it dangerous, it's all in your head. And now here's your host, Dr. Dave. My guest today is Dr. Royce Fitz, a licensed marriage and family therapist and certified dream worker with a doctorate in ministry. We'll be discussing his inspiring 2023 book, The Geography of the Soul, which explores relationships between physical and spiritual landscapes, personal and collective histories, and nighttime dreams, and how they weave together to reveal and heal the wounds of our lifetime. Now, here's the interview. Dr. Royce Fitz, welcome to Shrinkwrap Radio. Thank you so much. I've been yearning for this moment for a long time, so I'm honored, Dr. Dave. Yeah, I wasn't aware of it, but we were just speaking uh, before I started the recorder, and um, <clears throat> and you've been a long-time listener, and uh, I, I really appreciate that, especially considering who you are, because as, as I remarked, uh, I feel like I've discovered a soul brother uh, I relate I, your your book, which we'll be discussing, which is um, your 2023 book, Geography of the Soul, Dreams, Reality, and the Journey of a Lifetime. Oh, what a book. It is so deep and, and wide and wise. Mm -hmm. And um, so it feels like a real privilege to... Not only for you to to have been a long time listener and appreciator, but to be able to appreciate you back as well. Thank you. Uh, I'm yeah, I'm a I'm a bit speechless with your uh, sharing, and I, for me at least in my world, I mean your podcast has been on for a couple of eons, and uh, and. And, and as far as I know, you're one of the first in the area of psychologically oriented podcasts. And I believe still, so. I've, I've, still... I've, I've laid claim to that. So far, nobody, <laughs> nobody's, I thought somebody's going to come along and, and say I'm full of it, but that's not, that hasn't happened. Well, you may be full of it. And, and this is true <laughs> as well. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I, you know, periodically I do podcast searches and years ago, probably in 2016, 2017, I found your podcast. Uh, and that's when I really got into listening to podcasts and, and, uh, have just really appreciated the breadth of your interviews, the people you interview and, and uh, I secretly yearned, maybe not so secretly, I <laughs> yearned. It's like, man, if I could ever get on Dr. Dave's podcast. And here it is, you know, some version of a dream come true. Yeah, Thank yeah you. the the universe has, has brought it about. And uh, speaking of a dream, uh, a person that's been very important in your thought and life, <clears throat> as well as mine, uh, Jeremy Taylor, uh, yes. who who you uh, got to know as a friend and uh, and you've taken his approach to uh, dreams to heart and uh, and I think we'll we'll probably get to a place where I will invite you to to put that model out there as you practice it and understand it uh, as we go along I've sort of got that in my plan here and we're going to go on, you use a Scottish word, yeah. uh, and I just ask you how it's pronounced, and uh, I think you said it's stravague. Exactly. Well done. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, and uh, boy, what a beautiful uh, addition to our vocabulary that is. And um, so your book is really about... <clears throat> About you, you know, I've been influenced a lot by the work of Joseph Campbell, and I wouldn't be surprised if you have been as as well. But you kind of got the call, <clears throat> and um, and the, the, it's scary to get the call because, <laughs> yeah, as Campbell really uh, uh, makes it clear that the person who the, the call is actually has is loaded with risks and there are no guarantees and uh, but the person who doesn't answer the call I seem to recall Campbell saying something like uh, their life becomes like it's like there's stones in their mouth or something their life becomes dry and 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 very unsuccessful so <clears throat> Let's or they start. get or they get swallowed by giant fish. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. I love yeah, I love the biblical uh, parallels that that are there. Um, so we're gonna you and I are gonna. Your book is really about your your wandering. You're you're getting the call and and where that call takes you, and and in terms of geography, you know. Because place is another theme in the book and the importance of place. But um, tell us about the call and uh, what it required of you. Well, when you ask that question, so there's a, a list that pops up in my brain. <laughs> I'll, I'll bet, sure. To, to what call are you referring? And if it's the call to do the hike, the Stravag, that specific uh, uh, calling uh, back in 2009 uh, as I was setting on an yeah you I'm gonna cut you off there because yes, I'm sir. actually mm -hmm. thinking I'm 
we're definitely going to go there. But okay. I'm, th I'm thinking a little bit earlier is the call actually was to leave your marriage oh. of, uh, of many years. And uh, yeah. tell because that's got to have been hard and a real struggle. Uh, <clears throat> well, and still is, uh, you know, imagine. the, yeah, the kind of the systemic reverberations, both prior and after, uh, you know, it's an earthquake uh, that has many aftershocks. Yeah. So that, uh, as I share in the book, that was a grueling, uh, painful decision that took a long time to sort through and to try to find as best as I can, as best as I could, a sense of integrity about what is it that is rumbling and stumbling and grumbling in my soul and to look at the dissolution of a of, of at least of that part of the relationship was full of uh, uh you know wailing and gnashing of teeth if i can use a scriptural analogy um uh very painful and and once I arrived at that decision, and you know, this is this was a long uh, time coming, and lots of deep therapy and deep conversations that my spouse and I had over many years, and to finally arrive at that, and to make that decision, uh, it, you know, I felt like it was Armageddon in a way emotionally and a, a, a painful uh, realization of the, the, the best possible truth, not the perfect truth, but the best possible truth that I could arrive at. Uh, that's when I, for me, made that decision. And, and the, you know, because of my background that, as you know, as I share in the book, um, I have a lot of built-in preconceptions about what relationships are and what rules are and what mandates are and you know to to cope with all of those voices and you know sometimes very deep shame-based kinds of messages that were embedded in me and to move into that you know there was no way i was going to avoid that you know that would have been nice but to move in that and through that uh, has been, uh, you know, a, a kind of a fiery purging. And where I was then and where I know I am now, at least as best as I can determine, um, I'm in a much better space and place. I feel more authentic and connected with my what I perceive as my real self. And at the same time, and I just need to say this, you know, there is an ongoing appreciation that my former spouse and I have for each other. And for, you know, in, in, in a sense, again, to use a religious term, a sense of being blessed by both to go as best as we can on into uh our own different versions of health, healing, and wholeness. Yeah. 
You know, uh, you you used the uh, reference to Jonah and the whale earlier, and uh, <clears throat> which is such a good story. And 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 uh, he was called by God to go and and uh, I think preach to the. To, to, to the Ninevites, something yeah, like that. Yeah, Nineveh. Nineveh, right. Yeah. And, and, uh, and he didn't, oh, oh, Lord, you can't ask this of me. These are terrible <laughs> yeah. people. Why would you want me to go witness to them? And, um, you know, and so he tries to avoid it, and we know he gets swallowed by the whale and, and disgorged. And, and um so there's, one of, the, one of, the, you know, the, that's a great example because there's a lot of puking involved, emotional purging. And, you yeah. know, again, uh, it's actually uh, called a big fish, not necessarily a whale, but the artists like to just, dis, you know, describe right. it as a whale because it makes more sense in our, in our human language, but, or imagery, but yeah, there's a lot of regurgitation that happens in listening to, uh, Again, not perfectly in doing our best to listen to a call to be yeah. authentic and real and yeah. be vulnerable in in the world with others who are like the Ninevites who are kind of uh, wandering aimlessly a bit. Yeah, and you know, uh, lots of people get divorced, and it's, it's I think it's it's never uh, even. It's, it's not as easy as it's often depicted, you know, but some people seem to do it rather casually. I've, it should be clear to anybody listening to this conversation already, even if they haven't read your book, that uh, you struggle mightily to be honest, to be open to, to uh, and to listen to your 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 soul's calling and, and your heart and and uh, that's not an easy thing to do. So I just thought it was important for us to start there because that's mm. kind of the the beginning in some ways of this of this remarkable journey. Uh, so one of the things that you felt called to do was to to go to a a trail that you had heard about in England that I had mm -hmm. never heard of. Tell us about that, the the Ridgeway National Trail and Right. I so that was you know, I'd never heard of it either and as I shared just a, a little bit ago that in 2009, you know, sitting on the prairie in my living room reading the New York Times and in their travel section and seeing this description and I believe that article was titled a hike into history which for me is always going to be a bit of a draw to read so i started looking at the pictures and reading that and it's like this is the oldest continuously used trail in england or, or in the united kingdom and before the english channel existed it went all the way across uh the English Channel into what we now know as France and on and on and on, that the trail was created uh, as the Ice Age receded. It left some version of a ridge, thus the name, the Ridgeway Trail. And so a portion of it is preserved in England. When I read that article and the ancientness, you know, the, the, uh, the 
prehistory upon prehistory. It just gripped me. And as a hiker and a lover of nature, I just knew, well, I, you know, I made a promise. I'm going to hike that trail. So that's where, and then, you know, with the dissolution of my marriage, as you brought up, and also the changes that were just exploding within my soul because of that, somehow I felt I need to take this hike. I need to take this walk, this Stravag, because it's so symbolized at some level, beyond words, actually, uh, uh, a part of who I am and also was going to open up for me a way to contemplate who in the hell am I now and how am I in the world and how is the world uh you know how does the world impact me how can I impact the world yeah and you struggled with uh, <clears throat> various emotions that would come up which I totally understand uh, uh, I identify a lot with you because you, you you describe yourself as a sickly child, sick a lot, and not mm -hmm. an aggressive child, and and mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, and I had some of that same feeling and experience, and mm -hmm. and um, and also your your detestation we'll get to this of of the military as a solution to the world's problems etc and fears about mm -hmm. that so mm -hmm. when you go to to england for the first time it's scary uh you you, you don't know are you going to get robbed you know uh, <laughs> yeah. because yeah. people often do these days when they travel and I say these days, but going back to ancient history, that's been around a long time. Uh, I went to Italy with uh, with my good friend. Uh, 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 I can't believe I block, I block on names a lot, so I'll just keep going. Uh, Ron and uh, God, he got his his passport stolen, and. Um, twice and they gave and he's a long-haired guy too and so <laughs> yeah dr dr ron alexander is, is his name and and mm -hmm. uh, boy he had a hard time getting the consulate to give him a new passport wait you, mm -hmm. you don't really care about this very much you're not a very loyal american blah 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 mm -hmm. So, uh, so that kind of thing can happen and so there you are alone and cut off made a decision to cut yourself off with, from family and from place. Um, okay, mm -hmm. I, you can pick it up from there. <laughs> well, you know, and, and I, when we make gigantic changes uh, it, it, in our in self, we're, we're going to feel really young and vulnerable anyway, no matter what age. And that continually... Uh, was a, a a surge and a resurge in me in me so yes. you know i've been overseas before never alone though and so i landed in london and felt you know like a little kid uh you know 10 years old again wandering and in a very very um unfamiliar space and place and and so, you know, I would get lost. I'd get lost in the airport. I'd get lost once I got established at a bed and breakfast in this 
a little uh, section of London called Peckham. And, and, uh, and so I felt very uh, vulnerable and wondering and wandering. And I knew that, you know, at one level, you know, as a psychotherapist, I know those aspects of the inner child and how that part uh, is uh, perhaps going to emerge in unexpected ways. To feel this, to walk this, to carry this, and to hold awareness and so, it was, uh, you know, just a, a new kind of um, uh, teaching for me as I became more informed of my own inner self. And yet, I would not trade that vulnerability for anything. Uh, it, this has always been a part of my awareness. And yet to step into the depths of it in, in this uh, soulful journey, uh, it was, uh, a, you know, a painful, awful gift and, and beautiful experience. Yeah. And I love the surges as you talk about it, the surges of, of, uh, the alternation between the, the sort of fear that would come up from the unconscious, mm -hmm. but then the surge of, of internal strength and joy and optimism and, and, mm -hmm. and looking forward to, you know, being on this adventure. And uh, mm -hmm. so, so that was wonderful. Um, the, um, so one of the, one of the things that, um, well, I think, you know, in the, in the book, you hop around a little bit and I wondered, you know, so the book becomes a wander in itself, a saunter mm -hmm. through, through a, these experiences. A stravague. A and, and so interestingly, in the book, you go back, I think, to talk about your military counseling experience. Mm -hmm. So let's mm -hmm. go back now, you know, mm -hmm. and, and you're, and that's very paradoxical. Tell us about why that's so paradoxical for you that, that you were led well, to do this. Yeah, you know, the, that sense of a stravag, which in, in a loose definition is kind of a defiant, aimless uh, wander uh, to, to uh, try to maintain one's own sense of self in the midst of what may be oppressive energies around us. And, and so, uh, you know, the, that stravag I took in England opened me up beyond belief to stepping into new areas that i had avoided in my whole life some by some by consciously avoiding and some by unconsciously avoiding and so when i was done with that i knew i needed to you know get back to some of my practice and earn a living and i had heard about this uh um uh, service in military called military family life counseling and and so i i started to think maybe that would be a way to help me continue to expand and to grow and it did so much that that became for me this is a have to to put this at the beginning of my chapter because i mean beginning of a book because it's such a jarring out-of-the-box experience for me. And part of what I want to invite the reader is to 
is to realize this is okay for us to provoke ourselves into new growth and expansion and healing by going outside of the boxes of comfort that perhaps we've been born with or have been uh, imprisoned by, by our life structure. So uh, I decided uh, <laughs> against a lot of voices inside me to become a military family life counselor. And that means for me to be assigned by a, a contracting company that contracts with the Pentagon to serve uh, military family members and military members in different locations. The one I write about is my very first one in upstate New York yeah. at Fort Drum. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not a conscientious objector, although I considered that many times in my life. I was able to get a a deferment from the draft, you know, and you and I are similar age that we know what that was like right. to get a, de a deferment. And so it's like, I'm, I'm going to be, uh, you know, scot-free skate around this issue. But at this point in my life, it's like, I have to face whatever this military industrial complex is. I have to step into it. And so that too was a calling. And for me to be on a base, as I've done several times since then, and be who I am, not a, not a conscientious objector, and yet very anti-military in, in the, 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 the way of my life and being, and how to be with these these people that I pay, that I assign, in a sense, symbolically, to serve uh, in our military uh, industrial complex. And what will that look like? How will I handle myself? How can I be authentic as who I am and also invite authenticity from those ones that I serve? So that was, that, you know, I carry that paradox. And walking into that world was one of the most difficult things I've ever done. And the, 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 I made friends with the paradox of the, you know, the yin and yang. Uh, I, I don't think I could ever ask for a more profound life changing experience in my profession than to work with military people who are active, not veterans, not people that have suffered the after effects, but who are presently in service. And in and I, you know, we as citizens send these wonderful folks into this paradoxical lifestyle. And it was a way for me to understand that and also to love you know, to love these ones that I am called to serve and to be yeah. loved back. Yeah, and uh, we should mention, you know, that you have, not only do you have, are you a licensed psychotherapist at this mm -hmm. point, but mm -hmm. also uh, been through s s uh, several seminaries. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And, and so you, you, ha you have a, yeah. a, a spiritual training Mm -hmm. and mission to draw upon as well. Mm -hmm. And you describe how you were not allowed or encouraged to come to use those roles in any way for self-protection. You had to just 
kind of wander up to people and start talking to them, yeah. and hopefully yeah. make a connection that you both would find meaningful. Well, and what is unique about the position that I was assigned in is that while we supported the mental health clinics on any base, we were specifically not connected to them. So we are, um, uh, our service with military members and families was to be off the record. Every conversation we had was not recorded in any way. It was mandated that we do not. And there were, of course, exceptions if somebody was homicidal or suicidal or you know some other self-harm, other harm. We would have a protocol to help them get the help. But our job was, you know, very chaplaincy like in a way to wander around, connect, build relationships. And then people would invite us into their lives by asking for an appointment. Again, off the record and undocumented uh, conversations. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a huge adventure in and of itself. And um, and you you and then towards the end of the book, I'll just I'll mention that every, every all of these issues that you face are so multifaceted. The way you connect everything and you see everything as as a as a related whole. And um, mm -hmm. so not thank only for, was, thank you for noticing that. That's yeah great. yeah and and. Um, so not only do, are the, your own struggles and some sense of guilt from having been able to to not go not have to to go to war, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, because of a student exemption, but also towards the end of the book you get into your father's guilt about around military service, which didn't happen. We don't need to go through all of that here. I invite people to, to look for that in the book. But it's just, it's an, an example of this sort of multifaceted, multi-dimensional mm -hmm. space that you move us through, that, you yes. know, that, that your life moves through and that, that you move through. Mm -hmm. One of the things I want to make sure I say here is, that blows me away is... Um, you know, there's so much wisdom in the writing, I think, mm -hmm. and, and the telling of your tale. Um, and somehow you avoid cliches. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I try to picture myself writing about this stuff or any writing that I do, I'm just aware of how many cliches, you know, being in this field that we're in of, uh, of uh, human... Uh, of, uh, of existential humanistic psychology generally. Yes. And there's so many books that we've read and so many influences that it's e easy, I find, to just fall into these, the tropes and the cliches of mm -hmm. this field. And, mm -hmm. and you, really, you really don't do that. Was that a struggle or does that... Or is that just a natural outflowing of spending so much time alone? So your reflection helps me. Uh, and I appreciate that 
I did not, that you notice I did not use cliches or tropes. Um, my honest effort as I wrote this story, this pilgrimage of myself, you know, in my imperfect way is to be authentic and vulnerable. Yeah. You know, this isn't a confessional kind of memoir. This is, though, a, 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 an imperfect way for me to be as authentic as possible in the world. And I, I don't have simple uh, answers for the anguish and pain that we experience as humans. And yet I feel like we need to be in the space and place where there is anguish and pain. Or for me, it doesn't do any good to be alive. It's, you know, I, I have to get dirty. And the world is dirty. And it's also earthy and beautiful. So my effort is to, you know, as best as possible to be vulnerable and to be authentic about this. You mentioned humanistic and existential. Uh, that those are words that are make my my heart pump faster, and <laughs> and with with energy because yeah. this is this is where the rubber meets the road. How does love and compassion uh, get lived out in the in the in the realness of our life experience? I'm not one to believe that you know. That, I, I'm not a very optimistic person. I don't necessarily trust that we're going to be okay in whatever end there is. And for me to uh, be involved as, you know, on a molecular level, and that's all I can do is be involved in a molecular level of being compassionate and as healing as possible, that is that is my goal yeah. uh, with the sense of honest despair that floats into us and out of us as well as this sense of hope and healing um, the verdict is not yet in on our life forms right i struggle with that myself on this show you know mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and trying to trying to to not be in denial but at the same time, you know, but at the same time, uh, to find those, uh, to find some hope, uh, and to, uh, to hopefully stimulate some hope in, in my listeners. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I love the, your, uh, reference to our rattlesnake brain in mm -hmm. talking about anxiety and you know that that we we have mm -hmm. this amygdala brain that just it has its own its own life it snaps in very quickly it does and you know this is our instinct it it's helped our life form to survive as it does other life forms and and yet we rely on it way too much and uh at, part of my training and background is in, in Bowen family systems and and you know looking at anxiety as one of the primary instincts of who we are as a species as all species you know have that millions of years old survival mechanism that we call anxiety and so we're quick to strike we're quick to imagine that there is danger 
around every corner. Uh, and sometimes there is. So how do we navigate with awareness to respect that there is danger? And at the same time, how do we coach ourselves to be as thoughtful, full of thought as is possible to uh, be an, a an agent of, of thinking, an agent of change, an agent of compassion in the midst of this? Not easy. And, you know, I could get into my own sermonic uh, reactions, rattlesnake reactions about social media and how that permeates our system to be even more reactive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the places that I wanted to go was to, uh, well, I want to give you, a ch there's so much... I've, I've sort of got little notes to myself here of all yeah. the sort of waste waste stations, you know, of the the medicine wheel stones in Wyoming and the the uh, the standing stones along the trail that you were on in 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 the UK. But we only have so much time here, um, so I wanted to give you a chance to talk about your approach to dreaming because that's part of the mm. subtitle of the book. And you, you, uh, you give you actually work some of your own dreams in the book, so we get to see how you work with it. And I know that uh, we mentioned uh, Jeremy and Jeremy uh, Taylor, and ta Jeremy Taylor, and his pro projective group dream work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So well, this is yeah. this is your chance to give us a shot of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I have deep passion, as you know, and as the book expresses, a, a deep passion about our dream world. Uh, I, you know, a moment ago, I mentioned I mentioned that anxiety is a deeply inbred instinct, and I also believe that the whatever we call dreams, that nudge inside of us that dreams is at least a two million year old instinct and it seems to be an instinct in some way with many if not most life forms some kind of nighttime nudging that happens inside of our brain so when i talk about dreams i believe these are our our instinctual efforts to continually rewire us spiritually and emotionally and physically to move towards uh, some version of health healing and wholeness and when i met jeremy taylor through his his first book by the way is where i met him and then a couple of years later met him in person and he became for me my a very very good friend and, and dream teacher my dream mentor and his his approach in dreams helped me understand that there is a way to look at dreams without necessarily, although it would be good to become Freudian and be deeply embedded in that form of dream work or Jungian or Gestalt-ish or other forms of dream approaches. All of those are wonderful. What spoke to me so much about Jeremy's um, uh, understanding of dreams and working is what's called projection that this is what dave you and i are doing right now in our conversation we're 
projecting some other experiences in our lives onto each other. And we do this in the dream world. And so how can we, as just normal human beings, lay people who aren't trained in sophisticated dream theories, how can we use dreams to help us understand ourselves and our species and how the world works? And the projective method is essentially, generally in a group, works best, is where a dreamer will share their dream. And instead of us analyzing the dream and looking at necessarily all the archetypes, et cetera, that are a part of the dream world, what if the listeners were simply to say, I'm going to borrow this dream and treat this dream as my own I'm going to borrow it. And the way I'll talk about it is in the I message. If this is my dream, I. So I keep it on the I. I keep this on myself. And I simply reveal how I am experiencing this dream and let the dreamer absorb that. Either take it in or discard it, or just wonder about it. This builds an amazing intimacy, an amazing yeah. vulnerability in group settings. And uh, when I discovered this, standing in a bookshore in Cheyenne, Wyoming, a long time ago, reading Jeremy's book, it's like, ah, oh, this is it. <laughs> this is <laughs> yeah. this is my calling. This is my calling. Yeah, and uh, I... Before we started talking on mic, uh, I shared with you that uh, uh, that Jeremy was a frequent guest in my class that I taught, an undergraduate course on called Myth, Dream, and Symbol. And uh, his book was one of the texts that we used. And uh, wonderful. And it. And I've also been in, in a number of dream groups over the years. I'm not in one right now, but uh, but uh, have been in, been in them with with friends. And uh, my experience as a teacher was I did have a lot of exposure, you know, to other theories, and particular particularly to uh, the psychodynamic, uh, more or less Freudian kind of things. It's very mm -hmm. hard to to not have that influence me. And so sometimes mm -hmm. when I was the teacher, I would feel like, well, doggone it, I am an expert. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and sometimes uh, the person would, uh, would be responding in the I to the, mm -hmm. to the dreamer. And inside I'm going, oh, man, this is so, that's so, so wrong. <laughs> but I'm not, <laughs> yeah. but I'm, I'm not saying that out loud. And then the dreamer, just comes to life and says, "Oh wow, that you know what you said really touched me," and and I realize, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. so I I've, I needed to be chastened from my uh, my hubris around my <laughs> my expertise. Well, I I get my own cringes. You know, I love Jungian approaches and Freudian approaches, especially the newer understandings of, of, of Freudian psychology and psychoanalysis and, and some of the others. And it's like, I get it, you know, and, and when I hear, if I can say this, when I hear one of those folks, you know, 
uh, working a dream and they're yeah. using, you know, the language of interpretation. I cringe. It's like, oh, that's so brilliant. And let's just be honest and say, well, in my experience, this is the way I experience this dream. So, you know, I go back and forth and yeah. I have clients that sometimes don't want me to borrow their dream and use the I messages. Oh, really? They want me to, they want me to explain. What does it really mean? Yeah. What does that really <laughs> yeah, mean? What is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there's always this tension. We always want an authority to kind of, you know, tell us outside of ourselves what, quote, the truth is. It's hard to take responsibility for our own sense of self. That That's the anxiety. If I'm in the in if I'm in a healthy enough space with a client, you know, I'll say, okay, you know, we, we can talk about it this way, and let's look at you know the symbols of this dream, and I'll drop using the I messages because the relationship is saying this is okay to do. I get it, so I'm not going to be rigid about this. I do want, though, to challenge us to, you know, in this deep sense, let's take responsibility for our own sense of self as best as we can. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's another thing I wanted to uh, to discuss with you, which is uh, altered states of consciousness. And the for one thing, uh, I, you know, I've been interested in, in uh, altered states of consciousness from graduate school on. And um, and so it's been a theme in a lot of things that I've studied and done, and so on. And uh, and and one thing I wanted to note is travel, in and of itself, is an altered state of consciousness. That that's a guaranteed way. If you want to go someplace and do what you did, you know that you're not familiar with. And let yourself get disoriented because, you know, the excitement of getting lost sometimes, the, both the fear and excitement of getting lost, that definitely is an altered state. That's um, a really good point. Uh, altered states shake us out of how yeah. we experience, quote, our normal world. You know, in the dream world, sometimes we talk about the jester the 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 one who who kind of shocks us with a different perspective and and that's what an altered state is uh, you know I, in your podcast you've sometimes interviewed people who move into the psychedelic realm of looking at how plant medicine can help us and i love that approach without understanding a lot about it that also though reminds me of the dream world this these are other ways of having yeah. altered states so that we can look at the world in a new perspective the present solutions ain't working in our world we do need to have alternative understandings in order for us to have new ways of healing new ways of of running our systems of government, the present isn't working. Yeah. You know, you mentioned family systems and mm -hmm. uh, that approach is, 
is being used quite a bit in psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. And I, I do want to put you on the spot and ask you, have you uh, used plant medicines mm-hmm. yourself? I have, and not not to the extent that uh, part of me yearns to, to have some kind of deep and guided long-term experience, and and yet I have. So one of the quandaries I'm in, one of the uh, uh, difficulties is, uh, while some states, U.S. states, are rather progressive about how this is approached, the federal government is not. And so because I've worked in federal institutions, military uh, places, you know, that is, it it doesn't matter what the medical facts are. (laughs) They they have rules and regulations. And so I I have to uh, adhere to those for, for the contract's sake, as well as for you know that that sense of how 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 does the federal government manage this stuff it's way behind what medicine probably is promoting uh so you know again the system is rigid and and fixed so have i yes not very much uh i had uh, a psychedelic experience a couple of years ago a little over a year ago actually and it was in an amazing location with amazing leaders. And I felt like this was very dreamlike. And because of my work in the dream world and, and that experience, uh, it was another level of opening that convinced me that this is a way for us to move even more into the direction of healing with alternative understandings of what that uh, can look like. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, for, for uh, being so candid and, and sharing your experience around that. And um, it, it, and because of that, I may not get hired again by a military. <laughs> so thank you, Dave. Okay. Well, I, I hope I didn't bring that about. <laughs> um, no, it, that that's a quandary that I carry. So, yeah. you know, I, I tease you with that because I tease myself with that. It's a paradox. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, you know, we're, it's time for us to kind of wind down. And I'm wondering if there's anything that we haven't touched on that, that you wanted to get across in our conversation. Well, uh, one of the th- aspects that I, the reason I wrote this book is, is, is to invite and provoke others to explore their own sense of self through their sense of place, their physical sense of place, and also through their spiritual and existential sense of place. Not everybody has to take a walk on the oldest road in England and Europe. However, in order for us, I believe, to um, to move even more into authenticity and to be a healing agent in the world, we need to do our own spiritual existential straveg to move outside of the box and sometimes to break rules 
for the sake of health, healing, and wholeness. So, you know, to kind of to, to move back into my theological uh, realm, when when Jesus talks about, are we made for the letter of the law, or is the law made, for, or, or are we made for the spirit of the law? And and I believe we're made for the spirit, and that involves risks, and uh, your provocative questions to me today, you know, reminds me of some of the risks that that I've taken. And I just invite all of us to do their own version of this strabag. Well, that's a, that's a beautiful wrap up, actually. And mm, uh, thank you. <clears throat> so um, let me just say what a pleasure it is to meet you on this plane, <laughs> on this digital plane, and and, and well, uh, and you're you're calling me a brother it just touches me deeply, uh, yeah. and and thank you for this experience, yeah. and you know, brothers of the soul. So. Yes, yes, and um, so soul brother uh, <clears throat> Royce Fitz, I want to thank you. For being my guest today on Shrink Wrap Radio. Thank you. Very honored. Thank you very much. Wow. My recent guest, Dr. Royce Fitz, and I really bonded big time. I was so taken by his very inspiring 2023 book, The Geography of the Soul, Dreams, Reality, and the Journey of a Lifetime, that I felt we were soul brothers. In fact, that's not a term I throw around lightly. I think I've made reference here to my soul brother friend Dwight Webb, who passed away last year. I continue to miss him. My initial greeting on Zoom was, Hello, Brother Royce! It seemed like a natural thing to do at several levels. We both came up in some version of a fundamentalist church where it's common to refer to men and women as brother this and sister that. So I thought he might recognize that salutation. But beyond that, I was really wanting to communicate how close I felt to him after reading his book. In our subsequent discussions, He let me know that salutation grabbed him at a deep level. So all of this is to say that we have a strong mutual connection. Now I'm going to start up front here with something that I usually do towards the end of my commentary, which is to urge you to purchase this book. We're just now moving into December 2023, and therefore the season of giving is upon us. So let me suggest to you, first of all, that not only is his book a wonderful gift to yourself, but also for anyone else on your list who's engaged in the life and journey of the soul and or who has an interest in the meaning of their dreams. I think there's a good chance that you and they will treasure this volume. One of the gifts that Royce has given us is the Scottish word, Trevague, which refers to a saunter with no particular goal. In the world of theoretical math and computer programming, there is a term known as a, quote, random walk. 
What thinking person among us has never been tempted to just walk away from it all, to escape from whatever habit-formed rut we find ourselves in? That could be a scary impulse and may, in fact, be an unwise one. There are no guarantees. I think of the tarot card of the fool who is about to step off a cliff. He is about to perish, or does he know something about the sometimes benign support of destiny that we can't see? I can certainly understand the impulse, and there have been times in my own life where I have been foolish and others where wisdom has prevailed. Royce felt called to walk away from the security of his long marriage to a good woman and the financial security of his therapy practice. This may be a stumbling block for some readers. Others, such as myself, may see it as evidence of his commitment to a deep integrity. In a follow-up email after our interview, he let me know that I'm the only podcast interviewer so far who has had the nerve to ask him about his decision to leave his marriage. He thanked me for being willing to go there. I admire him for his courage to share his most human journey with us. Uncertainties, anxieties, fears, joys, ecstatic highs, warts, and all. There is so much wisdom in the telling and the living of this extraordinary tale. Once again, I recommend The Geography of the Soul, Dreams, Reality, and the Journey of a Lifetime by my soul brother, Dr. Royce Fitz. Here's a little mindfulness exercise for you listeners of Shrinkwrap Radio. Whilst listening to an episode of Shrinkwrap Radio, when something really grabs you, and something will, write it down. Then, do a little mindfulness exercise. You can do the usual body scanning thing to relax yourself. Observe thoughts coming into and letting them go out of your head, etc. Then, when you feel calm, take a look at each of those things that grabbed you, individually. Read one, close your eyes, and let thoughts about that point come in and out of your mind. You'll find that there's a reason why those things grabbed you enough to write them down, and exploring them in this way can reveal insights you might not have been expecting. Then, when you finish your list, you'll be in the ideal, appreciative frame of mind to go onto the Shrink Wrap Radio website and click on that big, round, support Shrink Wrap Radio button. After all, gratitude will only bring greater joy to yourself and help maintain the flow of mind food for further personal development. It is... Totally selfish, really. Thank you, Simon Huggins, for leading our listeners through that mindfulness exercise and encouraging them to join you in supporting Shrink Wrap Radio. Time once again to shrink wrap it up. Thanks to Brother Royce Fitz for his wise and wonderful book, The Geography of the Soul, Dreams, Reality, and the Journey, and for the journey he took us on during our discussion. Next week, my guest will be listener and Jungian therapist Stephen Rowley, Ph.D., discussing his new book, The Lost Coin, a Memoir of Adoption and Destiny. 
Until next time, this is Dr. Dave reminding you to be kind to yourselves, others, and our precious earth. You've been shrink-wrapped by Dr. Dave. All the psychology you need to know, and just enough to make you dangerous.